You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I'm Sarah, and I'm your host. First, I want to thank you for downloading this episode of the podcast. You know, you know that this podcast is all about shedding limiting labels and beliefs so that we can lead fulfilling, meaningful, and purposeful lives. And I really appreciate and support you in living your life without labels or limits because they artificially keep us in small little boxes that we are not meant to stay in. Um, And I hope, in fact, I know you will enjoy today's interview where we are joined by Elizabeth Wesley Casella. So before I let you even get to meet Elizabeth, um, I want to tell you a little bit about Elizabeth. She is the founder and CEO of L12 Services, LLC. And that's her firm which specializes in internal communications training, online business management, and executive virtual assistance. And I will tell you as a business owner, all three things that she does are crucial to my success. So I'm super interested in learning more from her. Elizabeth empowers business owners to overcome challenges related to scaling, process systems breakdown, and workflow management. And she does that by applying her strategic advisor skills and her ability to specialize and increase efficiency and effectiveness. She has over 20 years of experience as an administrator and policy and programming consultant. That's a lot of different brainwave activities, I'm saying, Lisbeth. <laughs> Lots of them. Um, but her work has contributed greatly to successful project outcomes in federal health policy, international program development, and nonprofit grassroots management. All three areas I'm super interested in. And just a few years ago, 2014, in fact, Elizabeth organized and led a process and communications change for First Lady Michelle Obama's signature program, Let's Move. Elizabeth calls on her vast range of experience to pass along insights in areas such as change management, administrative systems analysis, international communications training, and policy development. To her credit, she has a lot of years of experience. So um, let's just get to it and welcome our guest, Lisbeth Wesley Casella. Welcome, Lisbeth. Thank you so much for having me. I suppose I should shorten that up to just saying I'm super nerdy. I love to share information and let's be friends. <laughs> well, you know, what? but there's some folks I like that. That works for me because I'm a high level person. It's a weird combination of being super high level and needing that view and then being strategic. I'm not sure. I think there's a gap in the middle that I just go over. Um, but I think there are folks who are wired to say, yeah, I want her creds. I want to know why she's so smart about all this stuff. So 
that's why I go into detail, but I really like the I'm super ner nerdy part. So I would have, I should have started with that. Maybe I buried the lead. Um, anyway, I do want to start the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's to ask, is there something that you do every day that keeps you um, focused on the goals and dreams you have? I do two things and they're more, um, they're less about the targeted visualized goal and more about the how I am getting to that goal. Um, the first is that I do a gratitudes list every day. So I, I usually do one in the morning. I wake up and wow, the things I'm grateful for, they come really easily. And then at night, um, I do the same thing. I've been grateful for this happened today, but I also add in the five things that tomorrow I'll do better. So that's, that's that. And then the other thing that I do is I am a mad jigsaw puzzle person. So I have a dining room table that I have a jigsaw puzzle out all the time. And I just walk by and take 10, 15 minutes and see what pieces stand out today. Plunk, plunk, plunk. And I think that that helps with my cognition and pattern recognition. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so interesting, do you find, since you do your five things you're going to do better the next day practice, do you find that list is aspirational or correctional? If that makes sense. That's a great question. I think that it's human tendency to go first to the correctional. Like, review the day and what did I do wrong? Um, at my best, I think it's aspirational. Maybe even the things that I did today that were okay, that I could do better tomorrow or that I'm excited to build upon. Um, but it's probably a mix of both because let's face it, you know, being a human being, you make mistakes. And, and if you can reflect on them, learn from them and plan from them, hopefully if you make a similar mistake, you'll do it in a way that doesn't have a ne negative impact on the people around you. That's what I'm usually most focused on. I can make a mistake and it's fine if it's insular. If it's a mistake that involved other people and harmed them in some way, that weighs heavily on me. I would agree with you on that. There are degrees of um, error that I'm comfortable living with. So if I'm the one who's suffering, it's less so than if someone else does. So I really um, can relate to how you frame that a lot. And I asked the question more to see, like, are you super self-analytical and critical, or is it really that those things to tweak to get to where you want to be? So thanks for being honest and sharing that. Um, I do want to ask, I'm curious from your introduction, um, you know, you have three different, uh, they're not unrelated, but they're distinct lines of how you help people. You know, you talked about the income. Um, internal communications training, the business management, specifically online business management, and then executive virtual assistants. So those I think of as three different buckets. Would you agree? 100%. Okay. I, I like to test my assumptions because sometimes, <laughs> well, sometimes I'm wrong and people are going, how did you get there? So well, I don't, I made an assumption. So now that I'm good on my assumption, is there one of those three that lights you up the most to work on or in? It would be the internal communications piece. Um, and the way that I built my firm, uh, one piece stacks on top of the other. I started out 
Um, when I hung out my own shingle and I left corporate America, uh, I knew that I had a transferable skill set and it was going to be all administrative support and I was going to shop myself around and, and do that type of work. And that kept the lights on, so to speak, but it wasn't really what I had a passion at. Um, my, my passion, uh, even when I was working in the corporate world, was always to be the person on the executive team that spoke all the other team's languages. So I would become the liaison or I would become the key person to identify where bottlenecks and broken process happened so I could help the team leaders anticipate in advance what their, their criti critical administrative infrastructure looked like, where they may be challenged um, depending on the project that they were taking on. So I, I like to help teams communicate better with each other, which also gives me insight into how um, the business overall works, which I've always found fascinating. So the whole operational side of the business. Yes. And yes. then what, so you worked in corporate America, was your work specifically in the online space? No, actually I um, started out in Arizona working um, in uh, <laughs> commercial construction. I helped to build shopping centers. Um, and I became a project manager, and this was in the late 90s when we were really, as a nation, starting to look at how we build our inner cities back up. So how do we use space? Um, and my mother has muscular dystrophy, so I was really concerned about, as she aged and her health deteriorated, what was her quality of life going to be like? How was she going to get her prescriptions? How was she going to get her groceries? And through being in construction, I saw that people were using um, buildings in what became popular as multi-use. So commercial CVS on the bottom, apartments on the top kind of thing. And I thought, wow, this is really fascinating. Maybe I should go talk to somebody about this. I'll just give away everything I own and drive out to Washington, D.C. and see what happens. <laughs> so when I got out here, I um, worked for... Uh, nonprofits and associations, which is, you know, the predominant industry in the city if you're not working for government. Um, and then by the time I left, um, we were really just starting to see people utilize the remote work environment, but I mean, just to a really small extent, nothing compared to what we're doing today or what we were even doing in 2019. But using it as a tool, not necessarily as a business platform. We were, when I was in the association and, and nonprofit space, we were just starting to embark on the idea of a Microsoft suite. So people weren't, there was no right. Zoom, that kind of thing. Yeah. I know. I've been around long enough to remember those days. <laughs> remember when your cell phone was actually like a brick? And I'm yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember having a conversation. Why would anybody want a PDA? Right. And I'm thinking. Now I'm going, are you kidding me? So right. anyway, things have changed a lot in the last few years. The reason I asked that was you specifically talk about online business management. So again, back to my being clear, are you working with people to manage their online businesses or is managing business online the delivery mechanisms? Gotcha. It's the second. Okay. Um, because we're in a virtual environment, um, a lot of new business acronyms and titles are being formed. You know, 
five, 10 years ago, most people didn't know what a virtual assistant was. So VA meant, gosh, anything from veterans administration to voice activation. Um, online business management is I see you through the camera and I help guide you through decisions, um, but your business can be just about any industry. Very good. Thank you for helping me be clear. Um, because they're different or they could be different. Oh, 100%. Right? Yes. I mean, because there's folks that are saying, I can work with your business if you are an online business. That's their niche. So that's why I asked, because I would ask you maybe different questions. So talk a little bit about the VA space, because you were, when you went to Washington, well, wait, let's just go back a minute. You went there and you were started working in the nonprofit association area. But then you talked about running an initiative for former first lady, Michelle Obama, right? So where did that connect? <laughs> well, um, when I left and decided to start my own business, where I landed um, just happened to be in the eating disorders community. So I started working with the larger national organizations helping support them in administrative work, in event planning, membership uh, management, and in some of their policy spaces. What, what I brought to the table was more than just, you know, spreadsheet stuff and calendaring. I brought, you know, program development. So when um, we were, I think it was 2013, and um, the... I'm trying to think, yeah, it was 2013, and the first lady was slated to be on the show, The Biggest Loser. And somebody in the eating disorders community will remember that very vividly because that was a huge problem for us. We saw The Biggest Loser as a program that celebrated a lot of behavior that contributes to eating disorders and weight stigma. So being a weight stigma prevention advocate and being in the eating disorders realm, I was compelled to really see what we could do to push back on that idea and hopefully get her to cancel her appearance. Long and the short of it is that the community came together. We um, were able to get information to the first lady's office. I met with her staff, the Let's Move staff, the day that they were filming her episode. So we didn't end up meeting that end but we did have a really good conversation about the Let's Move program and unintentional side effects of some of the language that was in there that was stigmatizing. We were finding that you know children as young as five and seven were in in-treatment eating disorders because they were so afraid of the, the idea of fat. They didn't understand the concept of body diversity um, and the, to their credit, the team was really invested in making sure that that problem was alleviated. So I was able to bring together some people in medical and um, uh, mental health and exercise and movement and um, eating disorders and, and a wide range of um, specialty areas. And as a coalition, we came together and we wrote, rewrote some of the languaging and we also put together some implementation guidelines. So not only did the um, program have languaging that softened or clarified some issues, but also people who were implementing the program on the ground had some guidelines about how to engage children in movement and look at food and activity in a way that 
um, was more healthy to the overall environment and helped with the outcomes that they were trying to, to meet. So you're right back there to your whole bridging communication across communities piece. Yes, and that is really the the catalyst for what's driven me to build the organization from being a virtual assistance based organization to um, the internal communications piece. I no longer support clients in virtual assistance. I have a team that um, I'm, you know, we make matches. We have people who have really long-term uh, contracts with each other. The clients that we have, um, you know, we really love, they love us. It's really great. But we also attract larger corporate business to help them, especially right now, since the transition to remote work wasn't anticipated by most businesses, we're helping them to say, hey, you made it for a year, congratulations, the wheels are still on the bus, but are you working at the level with the efficiency that you'd expected to be? Okay, now is the time that we look at plans and policies and make them work with the environment that you've got and the talent that you've got and maybe even up that so that you're starting to attract you know, the talent that you dreamt about because there are people making a lot of changes right now and it, it's good to have your, your home in order so that people really want to come and work with you rather than thinking that they're signing on to fix a mess and then get down to the dirty work. That's a great distinction right there. The piece about, um, you know, are you working efficiently? You know, so folks who wanted maybe for a long time to work remote, they believe they could do it. Um, some folks find they're not wired to work remote as well. Like it's like, oh, I'd like to be out of the office and all of that stuff. And then they realize that they need that kind of connection piece. And then there's others who are, see, when are we connecting next? I'm right on it, right? So when you have those different personalities, and there's a bunch of personalities in between, I'm not saying <laughs> they're not the only two. Those are the two that come to mind for me. Um, but how do you help organizations or where do you start maybe is a better question of linking policy or practice with that organization's true culture so that it's not, you're not, you know, people don't say these are communication policies, but they're so out of touch with who that organization is and how they want their people to be. I am a firm believer that you can have as many tools as you want but they, tools don't solve, solve the problem. Tools are meant to help you solve a problem, but you can't just turn to a software. Like you can't say, I'm going to implement monday.com and everybody's going to understand what everybody else is doing and feel great about it. And yay, we're moving forward. It's only as good as what you put into it. So for us, um, where I start is I interview everyone. I do a one-on-one -on -one interview with um, each member of the team. It's confidential. We talk about the things that are working well, the things that aren't working well, broken process, what the ideal day looks like, if they understand their job description, if it aligns with what they're doing. It's, you know, there, there's a survey and a, an interview piece that's really important to get to understand what that baseline is for each person, because every business really is built by the people who work there. It's not just the idea of the founder or the leader's North Star. It's comprised of the people who do the work. And then after that, 
I uh, wrap that up and I present a report to the, the leadership that's engaged us. Um, and we talk about, okay, where does what's existing, today's state, misalign with what your North Star is or what you'd like the future state to be? And we start to connect the dots and make some suggestions. And this is where my training in lean comes in because I bring representative collaboration from every level of the, the business in for a conversation. It doesn't mean that all 50 people are there, but we have people that represent all the different departments and all the different levels within the organization to come together and say, okay, is everybody clear what the mission is? Yes, we're clear what the mission is. Okay, how are we going about getting there? And you'll have people say, well, you know, they want us to get there by this route that takes a left and a right and a left, but when we do that, we find these problems. It's inefficient. I think we should be going left, right, left. Um, and we have those discussions, and it's always, always, without fail, a really great time. I find that leadership is blown away by the fact that people that they hadn't recognized within their existing talent pool have the solutions already. We just need to talk it through why what's, work, what's happening now isn't working, why what the suggestion that we're focusing on may work, and what iteration looks like. So we build a plan from there and we test it. We see if it works, we make tweaks. And then once it's in place and working and people are finding their groove, then we start to codify those plans. We memorialize them in handbooks or policies or imagery. Um, and then to a certain degree, there may be some training involved that, you know, I come in and I do a certain department um, training or we, you know, part of the services that we provide um, include a, a platform assessment. So like, are you using too many platforms? Is it Zoom plus WhatsApp plus Teams plus some of those things can be eliminated so that everybody knows where they should be communicating, what types of information and where to find it. So it's really information organization with an eye toward the way that people like to do their jobs. And the way that people like to do their jobs, if they're able to engage in that, that gives them confidence that they understand what success looks like. And when they understand what success looks like, then the creative spark of innovation comes in and they bring solutions or they bring higher standards to leadership. So it really is a way of improving from the ground up. I love it. And I really like hearing that you don't wait, like you don't go through this whole long process and say, here's your policies and procedures, but you actually road test them. Mm -hmm. 100%, you have to engage and, and you have to engage the people who are doing them. Um, if you just have a mandate that comes from the top down, very rarely are you going to find the entirety of your workforce to be compliant. Well, honestly, as small as my organization is, at the end of the day, I want to have a good outcome, right? And I know, so I spent a lot of time outlining this to be super clear, these instructions that I needed one of my VAs to do. He's new. I thought I'm going to give him a break. Instead of being vague, I'll be very specific. So I email it to him. I says, let me know if this is clear, if you want to hop on a call. He said, I think I understand. Think being the wrong word to hear. I wasn't clear enough, right? He goes, could we hop on a call next week? We're in different time zones. I said, sure. He goes, so here's what I'm thinking. Oh, and in my email, I said, please tell me if you have a better way to do this. 
right? I'm thinking because honestly, well, because that was my best guess, right? That's how I would approach it, but that's how my brain works, right? And I know I can overcomplicate things. So I do. I can make them really intricate. So anyway, we talk on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, and he's, I says, so what do you think about the approach? He goes, well, let me tell you what I think. And he said, I took it to my team, and we think we could make some recommendations on how to go about it more simply and get you probably better results than what you even anticipate. And, I, and all I thought was, thank you for, A, saying you have a better idea and for coming back with it, you know, and, um, because he knows more than I do, right? So, like, to your point of taking it to the who's going to be doing the work, he knows more than I do about that. And so, and I do that with my other team members who know more than me because I don't know at all as much as I'd like to. And, I, and in a big organization, and, you know, when I was working in corporation, even though we weren't huge, you're all super busy and in your own world. And if you don't come back and have some time to pilot test, you can assume that a decision or a direction that was made one time actually works. And you can go far down that road and then all of a sudden go, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> we invested all of this money and it's broken. <laughs> well, and then, but then there's that whole, like, I don't want to waste the investment when in fact, chucking part of it is the right thing to do you know so anyway anyway rabbit hole um so you started your firm how long ago did you start your firm well let's see 12 years ago i think yeah just about 12 years ago um (laughs) are we still in 2021 (laughs) oh it goes fast it does. It does. Um, I, you know, I loved the people that I was working with, but I realized at a certain point that I was always going to be the queen of the admins. I was never going to make that leap into, you know, management and leadership. And if I wanted to do that, it meant that I had to go out and do something different. So that's the benefit of not knowing what I didn't know. I wasn't as scared as I probably should have been, but um, I just kind of set my jaw and grabbed my briefcase and poof, off I went. Did you um, set yourself up to have like a cushion for a few months or how did you plan for that? <laughs> well, because, you know, did you walk in one day and say, here's my notice, I'm out of here? Well, I said it, you you know, thank you for having come to my wedding. I love you all very much. I'm going <laughs> to try something different, but Yeah, I um, started my business by selling my designer handbags, which bought me one year of a hosted website and an email address and a business license. So you had a little bit of cushion, nothing to write. (laughs) That was it. That was it. And then I just started um, going to different. This was at the same time that I'd been diagnosed with an eating disorder. So I started going to eating disorders conferences and seeing that they could be run much more either efficiently or professionally or whatever. And I'd say, hey, do you need somebody to volunteer to help me kind of clean this up a little bit? And invariably I'd hear yes. And so I started to get to know those people. And then when they'd see other skill sets came with this volunteer, I eventually started getting clients. So part of it is putting yourself out there. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you, talked about having an eating disorder 
had you been tiptoeing up to addressing that for a long time or did you just like what was your tipping point on that because that's a brave thing to first of all to share and to address openly because it helps a ton of people um what was your tipping point well it's interesting um it's only in retrospect that i understand that I'd had either disordering, disordered eating behavior or an eating disorder since my late teens. Um, you know, I, in my late teens, it was the late 80s, and everybody celebrated the thin body type. So I did whatever it took to maintain that. And then later in life, um, I think I'd kind of, you know, blown my metabolism out, and my eating disorder shifted to uh, take on a different form. And so then I went into a binge eating disorder and high weight anorexia. So I'd be in a big body, but I would starve myself. Like all of the same eating disorder behavior that you have in a thin body, but in a larger body. So at that point, I did not know that there was anything other than bulimia and anorexia. So it didn't cross my mind that I had an eating disorder, but I knew that I was so ashamed of myself and my body that I didn't want to see people. So my husband was going up to visit his family in Long Island and I feigned illness. Oh, I can't go with you this time. I just don't feel good. And what I really was is I was ashamed. And as he drove off, I had my laptop on the bed and I was crying and I'm typing out all of these things related to weight and I just couldn't find the right words. And finally, I typed binge eating disorder and or binge eating and the binge eating disorder association beta came up and I started looking at the website and reading the stories and I'm like, Oh my God, that's me. I, all of that, every single one of those stories or symptoms is me. And then through the website, I was able to find providers that, um, you know, offered therapy and, uh, I started going to see somebody at that point. And so it was by understanding that I had an eating disorder that I then started my the next stage of my career. It was phenomenal because the two um, overlapped in a very um, safe space for me. I could work as hard as I wanted. And the work that I was doing and the stuff that I was reading to be good at my job was also really informative to help me learn different coping skills and, and to get into recovery. Talk about reinforcing behaviors, <laughs> you know, what a perfect, perfect alignment of the stars for that, you know, from being in that, you know, that and feeling that shame and not wanting to go is that it's tough. It, it really is. And when I finally got to a place where I understood body diversity and I understood that my worth didn't equate to my waist size, um, it was so freeing and I actually remember the moment and I don't know why it happened then, but I was gardening in my front yard and it just hit me. I don't have to be ashamed of myself. And so I sat there and cried among the flowers, <laughs> but it was very liberating. And then I really became fierce about wanting to share that message and wanting people to understand that, you know, 30 plus million people in America have an eating disorder. So that's like saying, do you know anyone from Illinois? Because Illinois is basically that same population size. If you know someone from Illinois, you probably know somebody with an eating disorder. Well, and, and do folks, I mean, is it more common for folks to be in the space that you were in the 80s 
where like you think here's these two extremes and I'm neither of them, right? So is it common for those 30 million to not recognize they are them because yes. of the multitude of uh, pieces in there? Yes, um, there there is such an unrealistic ideal out there, and it's it's there's a, a documentary out called Fatitude that has a line that says um, the harder it is to establish and maintain a certain size in society, that is what's valued. So back in Victorian times, it was the larger body type because most of you know society couldn't afford to eat. Now that we have an abundance of food or whatever other contributing factors, it's easier to be in a large body. So the smaller size body is celebrated and valued higher. And people often base their, their self-value on what they see. So the messaging and all of the media being, you know, eat this, don't eat this, look at this, don't, you know, don't wear that. It's so completely confusing and and it's not set up for people to just be okay in their own skin and find on their own you've got to buy something to be okay or you have to be on a diet to be okay you have to be investing in something exercise all the time to be okay and um without really being able to poke holes in that marketing theory because make no mistake it is a marketing machine um it makes money yeah, people people don't often hear that, you know, the health metrics that really matter are flexibility and stamina and, you know, it's it's not about the size of your neck or your waist or your arm. You can you can be healthy whether you live in a small body and that's genetically right for you or you live in a large larger body and that's genetically right for you. You know, doing the things that matter that keep you breathing and moving and to the extent that you can, um, that's what's important. It's not just looking a certain way. And it's that, like you're talking about, it's the components of health, mm -hmm. right? And um, I know someone asked me what my goal was for health, and you know, I'm because I know they were because of the context, they were asking me like a goal weight kind of thing, and I said, well, I want to be able to walk wherever and whenever I want to walk. I want to be able to get up and down stairs and the floor, you know, just like things like this, nothing huge. I want to be able to live my life. Oh, and I'd like to be able to walk a golf course, right? Those aren't huge things. But if I'm packing an extra 30 or 40 pounds, that is not appropriate for my body size. It's harder, mm -hmm. right? Or if I'm like eating foods or smoking or things that make that harder, it's a, so it's a, just a different way of thinking about it. And it's tough, especially as young women. And I know it affects boys as well. But I, I do think that um, when you're talking about the late teenage, I'm going, oh, I bet there's hardly anybody who can't relate to that. <laughs> and is that how then you're going into the um, to beta? Is that how you ultimately ended up as the director? Um, I, yes, yes. The um, director of membership and and events, um, it was just a lot of hard work and working collaboratively with the leadership. Um, I am forever forever grateful for that opportunity. Um, I made some amazing friendships and and we did stuff. Like we got stuff done. We made it to the White House. I felt pretty cool about that. Yep, that's big. It 
for a girl who had no plan, you betcha. <laughs> you might not have had a plan, but a plan had you. That's for sure. <laughs> there was a plan for you. Okay, so I have a couple other questions, and then I'm going to let you go for this trip around the conversation. But um, so you are still a keen advocate, though, around um, mental health and women's issues. Is that fair to say? 100%. Okay. So what message or messages do you think you want to impart to women listening to this today or to their partners who want to pass along your message? Hmm, that is a really good question. Um, I think that my message would be, be patient with your parts and parts being the, the different feelings that you have about who you are in the world at any given time. Sometimes we have angry parts or sometimes we have scared parts or sometimes we've got you know, rock and roll parts. Not, not always are we able to tap into them as we desire in the moment that we desire. Um, I don't know if for me, aging was part of it. I find myself to be more confident and more happy these days than I probably was in my 30s. But if, if we're able to be patient with ourselves, we're able to have better empathy and communication and be more helpful to those around us. So my, my advice would probably be be patient with yourself, recognize that you are not solely one person with one attitude all the time, give yourself some space and know that the longer you go in this journey, you understand more, it's a little bit easier to swallow. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. I appreciate when those little things pop up. So I want to ask you, you know, folks know that we do a pre-push pre record little chit chat, but before we put record on for today's episode, you and I were talking about kindergarten and, and kind of just the, how people are in kindergarten and how just some thoughts about that. If you can remember what we were talking about and share back a little of that, um, because I think it's a nice thing to end or wrap up on. You know, the, the pieces of kindergarten that were reinforced with me were, you know, share your toys, be helpful, and be kind to other people. And I found that there's nothing wrong with that advice, you know, all the way up through however old I get. Whenever you're listening to this, I'm still that old. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing that on a daily basis keeps those front of mind for me is, you know, sharing my toys isn't always sharing a thing. It's not a pen. It's not a technology. It's not a car. My toys these days are my knowledge, my experiences. So share them, let other people use them for whatever they're worth. And if the, it can help them, you know, move forward or get through something or improve upon something, yay. Treat other people as you'd like to be treated. Well, I like to be heard. If I have uh, something to say or if I have a problem, I want to be heard. So I try really hard to listen to other people. And again, if I relate that back to work, it means that I'm listening for what people need from their job in order to feel good about doing it and continue to invest in themselves. Um, yeah, 
I, I think that, that those are the things that um, I think that were important. They made me a good little kid, and I think that they, they make me comfortable being the adult that I am. Well, you're a totally fun adult. And oh, thank you. Whatever age you get to be, <laughs> you're still going to be fun. Um, I do want to ask if you would please um, let people know how to get a hold of you in L12 services. Um, the best way to do that, because I can imagine there are people listening today who are saying, ah, really, really need to connect with Lisbeth. You no, know, in the spirit of sharing the toys that are in my head, gosh, that didn't sound good. But anyway, <laughs> um, I am always easily accessible on LinkedIn. That's my platform of choice. So if you're going to um, have any questions, if you need to think through something or, you, you know, just want some help with what a strategy might look like, reach out to me. I'm happy to, to talk and, and help you noodle through some stuff. My name is spelled a little bit unusual, so let me do that real quick. Um, it's Elizabeth without the E at the beginning, so it's L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H. And then Wesley Casella is long and hyphenated, W-E-S-E-L-Y hyphen C-A-S-E-L-L-A. And if you want to reach out and um, you know use any tools that we have free on the website or get a communications assessment, which will help you figure out where the bottlenecks and broken process are within your organization, um, you should reach out to our website, l12services.com. It's just an l12services.com. All right, so folks, now you know how to get some tools, how to get an assessment, and how to reach Elizabeth. So. Thank you so much for being a guest on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. And what folks don't know is you just picked up and moved more than one time. So good on you. Thank you, Sarah. I just, I'm honored to be on. I love this show and I hope that we can do it again. I'm up for playing. So let's chat offline and see what's what. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.